Welcome to the Ben Don't Break podcast. We are powered by the Source Weekly, Ben's locally owned newspaper. This podcast is our eddy in the rushing waters of local journalism. We are glad that you're taking some of your time to listen to us chat with the people who shape our local community. Thank you to our presenting sponsor, Remax Key Properties, a family-owned, full-service real estate brokerage specializing in residential, luxury, commercial, new construction, and ranch and land properties. Their new state-of-the-art facility at 42 Greenwood Avenue is a modern, collaborative space and the new home of the Ben Don't Break podcast recording studio. I am Aaron Schweitzer, publisher of The Source Weekly, and I have today with me on the podcast Marcus Legrand, coordinator of COCC's Afrocentric program at Central Oregon Community College. He is also the Afrocentrics club advisor and a business and leadership instructor at COCC. Originally from North Carolina, he started his professional career in the U.S. Navy. He received his BA degree in marketing at the University of Washington, has worked for IBM and America Honda Motors. He has also mentored and coached high school and middle school students, volunteered in several communities working to develop the social and emotional development of students. Drawn to the natural beauty of the Pacific Northwest and the outdoors, Marcus moved to Bend in 2015 with family. He hopes to continue supporting and encouraging students and building relationships in the community. Marcus, thank you for being here. Uh, always a pleasure. You know that. This is the second time we've we've done uh, <laughs> done the podcast, so you're a, you're a two-timer now. I know, I know. It's like I said, we did the crossover event with, uh, when we had the State of Bend. Uh-huh. Yeah, it was like me, you, and Anthony. I remember yeah, that. that's and right. And uh, Nicole was with us that well at the time. Yep, Nicole was there, and we did a... The four, we had the four, whole whole studio rocking. <laughs> well, I had the, uh, just uh, before we dive right in, uh, I saw you trick-or-treating. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> oh, my God, I forget. Yes. I was, like, looking out the door of my, my parents' house, and you live... Uh, yeah. Close by and had the kids there. It was a uh, was a good time. And no, yes, right. I'm sure your uh, I think your mom lives right down the street from me. Yep. Yeah, this is yeah, yeah. hilarious. Small world. Yeah, it was right? such I, a small world. Very small community. I mean, like then, like I said, you know how it is. Everybody has close ties. What you know, you kind of find out where everybody is, and you're like, it was it was astonishing. He looks at me. He goes, I goes, I know that guy. I go, <laughs> all right. Yes. Uh, well, I'd like to talk to you a little bit about um, work you're doing up at COCC. It's uh, we're. Black History Month starts today, correct? Mm-hmm. Yes, it is. And um, maybe just talk a little bit about what you've got uh, on on order for people for this month. Oh, well, thank you for that. I appreciate it. Well, just to give everybody a little, I always like giving everybody a little bit of history yeah. of what Black, Mush, Black History Month is yeah. and how I got started. Um, it was actually cultivated uh, by a gentleman by the name of Dr. Carter G. Woodson. Uh, he is the second PhD graduate from uh, Harvard University. Uh, first was W.E.D. Du Bois, if you want a little bit more black history. Um, and I think he did a phenomenal job of re- understanding that the contributions as enslaved people were actually Americans. We never get credit for a lot of those things. We never get to have the opportunity mm-hmm. to talk about how the many things and everyday common use items that people have, that we invented many of those things. The unfortunate part is he wanted to see the same thing. Because if you think back to those times, many of the different things that were created were to help the enslaved to do easy work. But at the same time, too, many of, the, many of their uh, slave owners or whatever you would like to call them in the moment um, were the people who basically got a lot of credit for them. If you look at uh, Anderson Bell and what he did you know, with the light and everything, but if you don't talk to Louis Latimer, he perfected because he was his you know, as assistant. Right. Uh, so if you look at a Charles Drew, we don't have blood transfusions without him. 
you know, but at the same time, the reason he died is because he couldn't receive a blood transfusion because he was African-American. Wow. So think about it from those terms. So Carter wanted to make sure those things happen. Oh, well, just give other quick examples. You look at our stoplight. A stoplight was created by a black man, you know, so you look at our home security system it was created by Mary Britton Brown. She was created the first uh, security system we have in our country. So hmm. if you look at those contributions and just imagine, just imagine if they would have got the full credit, we got the full advertising dollars, the full support of the government and many different things. Imagine, look at that economic wealth you could have built for communities. But unfortunately, many of those people didn't get those patents. Many of those people lost their stuff to industry domain because they were considered property in the moment. Sure. So just want to give everybody that reference point to understand why black history isn't just going to be celebrated for one month. It should be all year yeah. long. Because well, it's American history. Yeah. Those dollars, like water, they just flow flow away if, if they're not going to the person who deserves them and into those communities where those people were brought up. They're going to reinvest them. Because mm-hmm. the, the average dollar today in the black community stays in the community probably an average maybe two hours. Huh. Because most of the trans men transactions are done by people who own various convenience stores, gas stations, so forth and so on. Because if you look at the breakdown of what's in most... Uh, most black communities is mostly convenience stores, gas stations, liquor stores, all those type things. And many of that's by design. So most of those places aren't desirable. Uh, also, you think about it too, many of our highway programs, if you ever noticed it in major cities, all ran through prominent black neighborhoods before. Mm-hmm. They were permanent black neighborhoods before. Right. Excuse me. Now they're just highways. So if you think about it from those perspectives, just imagine if they were allowed to just flourish and do what they needed to do, it wouldn't be in these impoverished areas that we have right now. And so with up at COCC, mm-hmm. with what you're offering, what are, what are going to be some of the offerings that you have up there? All right. So we have a really, really unique opportunity for people to learn a little bit more about Frederick Douglass and um, Bob Marley by coming to a drum making uh-huh. class uh-huh. Uh, that we're having uh, actually on February 6th. Uh, it's going to be at the Redmond campus. Uh, it's a little bit centrally located so people will be able to get there freely. Uh, it was a great time for us to say, hey, let's build something where people get to join together. Uh, we're going to do a unique thing where we're going to have three lessons, but they're small lessons. One's talking about the African drum, one's talking about the Latin drum oh, and right. African infused, and then how the native drum and the enslaved were all we were able to use drums as well to communicate and do certain things. Then after, people will have the opportunity to learn to play the various drums from the different instructors. And then finally, that's capped off by having the ability to actually make your own drum and take home with you. Uh, we did cap the registration to about 40 students, and currently I'm at 38. <laughs> so that's great, and I have a wait list going, but I'm glad that the community and are bringing not just their families but themselves out to be a part of this. Uh, that's just one. Uh, eventually, also on February 16th, Mr. Kenny Adams uh, did a documentary uh, film about being black and Ben, and the movie is called Blen, <laughs> and it's going to be uh, February 16th, like I mentioned, in Hitchcock Auditorium uh, on the Ben campus. That's great. It's going to be at 6 p.m. on that day. Uh, Kenny will definitely be in the house uh, to be able to ask any questions to in the Q&A after. Uh, and it's a movie's about an hour and 30 at the most, and then we have the Q&A for about 30 minutes or so. Great. Uh, and then finally, for Black History Month itself, we have Tracy Michelle lewis Giddits, who is an, uh, an NAACP award-winning author will be coming in to talk about the book that we are currently in a book club discussion with called Black Joy, A Fight for Reckoning and, and Black Excellence in Resilience, Restoration, and Resistance. So it's pretty cool. 
Where does she hail from? Uh, she hails from Louisville, Kentucky, um, but she actually lives in uh, New Jersey right now. Okay. Uh, she's a great prom, great writer uh, who has many books, and I think is a great opportunity for people to get to know her. I love the, her struggle in the book, talking about the things that we have to do, not only as black people to be able to continue to prosper and survive within in the confines of the systems we're in, but she gives us a reason to continue to learn to find joy within ourselves, regardless of all the torment and trauma that we go through on a daily basis. Yeah. Yeah. The, um, you know, one of the things that it strikes me since we're talking about um, history is the struggles that... Uh, or the struggle that's going right now over school history books and the classrooms and uh, some of the challenges libraries are having over who controls that narrative. Um, and I know that's one thing that uh, Black History Month helps to ameliorate is these, you know, people getting a hold of, of the narrative, winners win, uh, and, and changing basically what, uh, what the reality is for people in this country. Can you speak to that a little bit? Sure. I think for me, why wouldn't you want to know about the true history of America? Why right. does it have to be a watered-down version? I understand that, and even Tracy mentions this in her book, people who created the systems we currently have in this country have something to look at in the mirror in terms of the barbaric ways in which they've done things. Yes, no one wants to hear about those things. Yes, no one wants to have to talk about them continually. But as African-Americans, when we have to relive it on a single everyday basis, right. it's priceless. Revisiting trauma is priceless. And that's all we're trying to tell people. We want you to be able to hear our stories. Germany does a great job of talking about what the Holocaust was, and we didn't want to repeat that. They even changed the national anthem of their country to make sure they didn't talk about those things. Why not do that here? Why not be up front? Hey, we had a tumultuous start. We're sorry. But instead, they want to double down and take those things away because they feel if we tell those things, it's going to scar them. But wait a minute. I mean, they always try to hide behind the cloak of Christianity or some type of religion that we don't want to do these things because we want to protect people. God wants us to do this. But also God wanted us to do a little bit more than that as well. He wants to be able to tell, hey, you the truth and the light too, right? Right. Tell I can't imagine that there's right. a God who's opposed to personal development based right. on truth. Exactly. And it's always in us every single day. So why don't you enjoy it and utilize that? I just don't like the fact they're trying to pull stuff away that is things that we want the people to be able to hear the truth so we can feel comfortable, not feel comfortable as African-Americans that is out there, but feel comfortable knowing that our stories are not forgotten. Because they say that if people stop saying your name, you're forgotten in two generations, right? Right. So let's tell these stories. But we unfortunately don't control the narrative. And we don't control the power who control the books or write the books or what's on TV because we own none of those things. And it really is heartbreaking to recognize that you say you want inclusion, you say you want to build a, a, a let's build a greater American, but wait a minute, a greater America comes by leaning into the fact that we were not the best, you know. Well, it's that old adage: you're, you know, if you don't know history, you're doomed to repeat it, and okay. uh, it's a shared history. And I, I think shying away from, you know, looking at it would be like if I went through my whole life and never gave a care for any of the things I did that were wrong. Mm -hmm. I, I don't think I'd be. See me walking with one leg as half a person, you know, it doesn't yeah. make any sense. I, I think Dr. Carr said it best. Um, 
He's a gentleman I listen to. There's a podcast I listen to on the Karen uh, on XM Radio. Uh, he talks about it really well, and he talks about we look at the past to understand the present, and we use the present history to make and then we can build the things we need for the future. So if you don't want to look, really look at your past, then like you're saying, you're doing to repeat yourself, right? Right. But it's to make those same mistakes. They glaringly know it's there. They know. And I think for me, what is more than anything is just fear. The fear that, and there's a big fear. Yeah, what is it that people are f- so afraid of? They're afraid if, if African-Americans, Latinos, any people of color receive the power that they currently perceive, perceive that they have, that we're going to do the same thing to them that they did to us. And that is far from the truth. Because think about it. We continue to get knocked down and come right back up. There's a humility within being African-American. Mm-hmm. We know what we have to deal with on a daily basis. And we know who we are, too. We were kings and queens before this. And mm-hmm. trying to instill that in people every single day is hard to recognize, right? Yeah. So we came from Africa as some of the brightest and some of the most sought-after people. Because the first people they brought here, another little tidbit for black history, was our agriculture, I mean, agriculture people and our healers. So if you take that from a country, guess what? They can't eat, you can't heal. Because Africa didn't have hospitals back then. Yeah, European nations did. All of them did. But they were like, how are they living? Think about it. Let's look at the Black Plague, for instance. It killed almost all of Europe, but it didn't kill not one person in Africa. Think about that for a second. During the pandemic, guess who had the best results and not many people died? Africa. Because they have a, a country that talks to each other. Over 95% of the people... In, the, in Africa wore their masks because they were told to. Mm-hmm. So not many people died. See what I mean? So let's be, let's be honest about who, what we do and how we do it. And let's don't keep fighting that we don't want to tell people the, or the true history of what happens. It's not going to hurt you. All you have to do is understand what can we do from, differently from this point on, right? And that's unfortunate that people don't want to do that. What do you see in your experiences here in Bend? I mean, on a, I mean, you've lived back in the South, and mm-hmm. you know, Don is from the South. I'm from the South. It's a, um, to me, uh, the multiculturalism there. It's very much in your face. My wife and I talk about this. It's a, it's a different experience than when you're here mm-hmm. and you're talking about it. But uh, there just aren't as many minorities, and mm-hmm. you don't have that full-on exposure what's what's been your experience the experience is that i think sometimes we took it for granted because we were so comfortable just being in it because there was what we knew it was our culture Mm -hmm. you know it was the environment we were raised we got it we understood it we knew where we stood with certain things it's like i can be friends with you but i'm not coming to your house and play right but at the same time we're not going to church together but you knew that dividing line but like why did we need to have that dividing line right okay but here is a little different because now we're the ones who have to cultivate that culture. We have to build right. it. We have to, we have to make it authentic, not manufactured. We have to actually build it. So now we're the ones building it, trying to figure out what that looks like and trying to get people to buy into what that looks like and not just buy in in a way where you just do a one off. It's an investing in that. Like I tell people, if you want to invest in what black people need, Talk to us, let us do it, but at the same time, help us find the resources to do so. Right. Because everyone does it for everyone else. Let's give you a prime example. Like you look at the churches here. I, I, I watched all the churches here. I am not going to name any names, but I look at all of them. They do a really good job with their congregation, working with their monies, working with their funds. So say a family who was another church coming from another state, they do a good job of bringing each other together. They find a house. They find, you know, they have connections. When we get here as African-Americans, 
we feel a little like I don't see many of me here, so I'm gonna revert back to just being in, mm. or sticking close to what I know, right. to feel safe, to feel grounded. You'd be amazed that when we do have these get-togethers with the African community, with the uh, island community, with the adopted kids, with the different families here, it is like a family reunion because we feel comfortable. Mm -hmm. So while being here, we know that we like to call it the been nice, that people will say, yes, we're willing to do that, but then may not want to engage. I'm not saying everyone's that way, not that way. That's not true. There is a lot of allies. There's a lot of people who are willing to lean into and try to help. But unfortunately, we know it's going to take a lot of movement. Change is slow and always has been. <laughs> Change is slow and always will be. You know what I'm saying? Right. And, and we just got to continue to just keep pressing forward and do what we need to do. And it's getting better and better for us. Is it easier to access resources? I mean, people look at the South and they always talk about, you know, it's racist past and it's racist present. And yeah. Is it easier to find resources in the South than it is to find them up here? Um, it's more of a collective resource. Yeah. So, so think about this. Imagine you're living in Atlanta. You have a few more black owned businesses, right. more black people who are in uh, senior positions, people who have power in those regards, right? You know, you have the Coca-Cola's of the world. You have a lot of black owned companies down there. Same thing with DC, same thing with many of the uh, metropolitans. It's easier mm-hmm. to get those because they have those resources. Now you step out of side those cities you're dealing with some racist stuff. Yeah. So it's not easy to get the resources. You just use the resources you have. Because I even look at the black churches down south. Some are doing really well. Some are not thriving at all. Right. Mm-hmm. And that used to be the place that you went to be able to get all the knowledge you need in, in growing up. And unfortunately, we're getting away from that. I think a lot of black churches have gotten to the point they're so big, they've become businesses. And I think they've forgotten what their mission is, is to basically continue to be um patrons of the of the community and just right. trying to help them serve that but not and back to your question is that it wasn't easier i think it was just you knew how to go get it knowing your people around you yeah. because it, it was given to you uh and I, that's the thing too it's like it's, it's that network of nefertivism that i like to call it within the white community i wish we had sometimes that togetherness like, hey, I know Billy, Billy knows you, so then I can give you that $1,000 to do this. I'm not saying everyone gets this option, but a lot of people do, right? I figure, hey, since I know Chris, he'll give me 1500 bucks, whatever, we can get all this started. Um, I think sometimes, and I think this is the other way to put it too, I think a lot of times the resources go to more and more less melanated kids and, and entrepreneurs because they, they see the potential or the investment growth there. Unfortunately, me as a a black man or a little bit darker hue, I have to actually have receipts before I can get the resources. See you see what I'm saying? Yep. So it's like, I got to do this for 10 years. I got to do that for five. Or I got to feel comfortable doing it and then watching you, looking over your back and mm-hmm. checking in on you to make sure you're okay. But then if you make a mistake or fall, then all of a sudden you're deemed not worthy of continuing to do that. Right. Right. You know, our former president has six, six bankruptcies. <laughs> and he's still getting the dough he needs. Think about that from that perspective. He still is marketing to people to basically buy all the stuff he can do so you can use his stuff for legal fees. Tell the truth, mm-hmm. right? So think about that for a second. You look at the look at Professor, look at Dr. Gay at Harvard. She was there for six months. Yeah. She does one thing, but actually I didn't think she did anything bad. And now she can't she can't get anything. Right. You see what I mean? I do. Same thing at Yale. You get to that point. You know, so those are the things I look at. When you were saying here that you have to um, 
create your culture, create those bonds. Uh, do you feel that responsibility? I mean, that's a that's a pretty heavy that's a pretty heavy thing for a point in time for someone like yourself. And and you're certainly a, a leader in the community, and you're you know up at COCC. What is how does that hang on on your shoulders, on Marcus's shoulders? It feels good because I was taught a long time over my grandmother and my mom and my whole family in general was that your services to the community. She didn't say it had to be the black community, just the community, right? <laughs> right. But she, I knew what she was saying. Yeah. She goes, you got to be knowledgeable about how to navigate and be able to give resources and information to people. And she goes, you, you do it in layers. When you're younger, you're a little bit more spry. You're out here trying to do it. You're just doing it by the seat of your pants. You're doing it. As you get older and mature, get a family. I'm Now I'm in that you're cultivating it. Now as I'm older in my 50s, I hate to say that sometimes I'm in my 50s. Now I don't I'm, like to say it either. Yeah, right. <laughs> I'm the teacher. <laughs> I'm the teacher. Yeah. I'm the educator. Hey, slow down. That young person, calm down. Right. We're going to get you there. Those middle-aged people, you can be more of a mentor to them, mm -hmm. right? And then the older group, I can consult with them like, and work with them to be able to make things happen. So I feel that responsibility. So, so I, took, I take that mantra and I take that, how you want to say it? I take that... Um, I take that mantle of understanding what I am for my community really, really personally. Like, yeah, I do. I, I'm pride, I'm prideful about that. Like, hey, I'm glad I get to represent, you know, the black community the way I do. And I have no problem doing it. That's great. Yeah. Uh, we're at the end of our time here together. It's uh, flown by. What, uh, anything you want to say to listeners uh, about this month or about uh, what you got coming on at COCC? Yeah, sure. Um, we have a lot of different programming coming up for not just for Black History Month, but a lot of few more things for the season of nonviolence that we're doing as well. Uh, it goes from January 1st all the way to April. Uh, we have a few more uh, different programming pieces. So people, please go to our website and check that out. Uh, I also would love to continue to as students in the community and families in the community, uh, I teach leadership in many of the high schools here. Mm -hmm. um, and people are like, what does that mean, leadership? What I'm trying to do is show these kids how to cultivate, uh, build character, and also show them how to build projects, how to be entrepreneurs, uh, showing them how to actually create agency within themselves to feel comfortable going out here into the world. And I would love to have more students into these classes. Um, the thing I love about it, too, is not just black and brown students who are in my class. I have a lot of less melanated kids who are jumping in, too. Um, see, I don't like to use the term white because it's a made-up construct. I hadn't mind. heard that term, less yeah, melanated. Yeah, less I melanated. Like yeah. you, you, get, you, still, you still tan. You get darker right. unless you're albino, right? <laughs> right. Okay. So you do. I think, I think race has been used in so many ways to divide us, and I think even on applications. So but back to what I was talking about in terms of what we have on the, on the, mm -hmm. up at the school. I think there's a lot of different opportunities. There's a one big opportunity I'm creating, the proposals in the works, that I think is going to be great for the fruitful for the community. Just think about along these lines. Imagine, just imagine people in the community because unfortunately affirmative action went away. Uh, and that, that's unfortunate. Everybody's thinking it was a bad thing. No, it was given uh, opportunities not just to African Americans and it was given that, uh, access to women as well. LGBTQ and disabled. Mm -hmm. So what I'm trying to get to ultimately is imagine having an opportunity for students here to visit the East Coast a little bit more, uh, the South a little bit more, and visit some HBCUs and have mm -hmm. the ability to know if I do come here, here's how it looks. And then have the ability to be able to hopefully transfer from there from here uh, free. So 
Wow. Let's see how that works. So that's just a little tidbit of maybe a little something that might be coming in the works. (laughs) So that's awesome, Marcus. Well, hey, thank you for uh, spending some time with us. Good luck with uh, all the things you're going to be doing this month. Thank you. You've been listening to the Ben Don't Break podcast powered by The Source Weekly. To read, hear, and see more of what we do, go to bensource.com.